I'm Jason Alston. You're listening to The Level Playing Field. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Level Plainfield Podcast. Level Plainfield is my podcast, my name is Randy Boos, where I interview people who are LGBT and involved in sports. Before I get to this week's episode, I want to do a self-congratulations. Last year, March 12th, 2019, I launched this podcast. Months later, in October, I joined the Outsports Network. It has been a lot of fun doing this, and thank you for listening. But let's get to this episode. This episode is with Jason Ellis. Jason Ellis is a former pro skateboarder. He has raced trucks. He has fought MMA matches. He is also a radio host currently on SiriusXM. We are talking about his book, Still Awesome, that just came out recently, and it is a fun conversation. I read I Am Awesome, which is his previous book, and I read Still Awesome, so we talk a lot about those two books, mainly this current book. In it, just to give you a little warning, we talk drug use, we talk about um, sex. There's more curse words than normal on this podcast, but honestly, I liked it that way. I never would have thought my podcast would have my guests talking about having George Takai from Star Trek feeling his dick and balls. And that's what we talk about later on in the episode. Anyways, that is just part of it. I hope you enjoy this hour-long episode. Um, Without further ado, though, here is my guest, Jason Ellis, talking about his book, Still Awesome. Hey, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. I, like I said before we started recording, I can't believe I'm talking with you. I have to be honest with you, I didn't really know you until December when Sid Ziegler, one of the co-founders of Outsports, wrote a story about you. Right. Since then, I've read I'm Awesome, and then I read Still Awesome. Um, I listen to you daily on XM, you or Sirius XM. You seriously help me get through my work day, so I right. appreciate that. Thanks, man. I feel like I know so much about you, so I have so many things I want to talk about. But um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, just going through your books, Googling you, I mean, one of the first images that pops up is George Takai filling your dick, um, which is bizarre to see. Yeah, I, I haven't Googled me, so I, I was not aware that that's one of the first things. Wait, you can't see my actual dick, can you? Yeah, you can. Oh, God. Well, I, I think it's time to start an OnlyFans. I did not know that I was already butt-ass naked on the internet. I need to make some extra money. <laughs> I'm sure you would make a lot. Man, I'm, I'm not even joking. If that, if you Google search me and you saw my dick, I am now getting an OnlyFans account because it's out. I don't care. I did not know that. God damn it. It's not a, you sure it's not the blurred one? It's the real one? Uh, I think so. Oh, freaking me out. Oh, well. So for most people that don't know you, um, that probably listen to this podcast, yes. obviously you grew up in Australia, you were a skateboard, you, fuck, I can't even say it. Pro uh, skateboarder? Yeah, pro skateboarder. How much credit do you give skateboarding for where you are right now? Uh, um. Uh, percentage-wise, I, I don't know, maybe all of it. I feel like, you know, skateboarding saved me. And it gave me drive. It gave me passion. It gave me confidence. It gave me belief that I could do something in my life, that I wasn't just a piece of shit. It gave me – it's everything. I, I don't know what I would have done without it. I, I wouldn't have been good. I know that. Yeah, because in your first book, you really talk about the upbringing you had. Um right. Product of divorced parents. Obviously, later on, you talk about uh, molestation. Yeah. uh, Exposed to drinking drugs. Sex with older women. I mean, it's a wild ride to read your books. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how uplifting it is, but it was, it's weird because in the books, you know, you don't put in the, uh, there were several times where it was just normal and, my family was good. 
It's just, you know, when you when you write a book, that doesn't seem to be a thing that anybody wanted to read. So they just want to know about the bad part because it wasn't all bad. But yeah, that a lot of that now being a parent looking looking at it is it's pretty fucked up. But a lot of people would go through stuff that I go through. I'm not the only one. True, but you you tended to be on the the farther side of the bad stuff. I mean Fair enough. Yep. I mean, even later on when you get older and you know, your dad dies, your brother dies. I mean, those are things that well, I mean, parents dying it it's typical. Unfortunately, but for a, to lose a brother, I mean, even that is just horrible. Yeah, no, uh, that, uh, that was it's funny because when you're older, they the bad things are you rationalize them. I, I felt like that was worse because I was there was no hiding, there was no getting around it. I couldn't just push it aside, it was right in my face. So but in a roundabout way, those were good things too. Like when my father and my brother passed away, it shook my system so hard that I rose again. I, I mean, I, I had to be more driven because I, you know, I felt the the, the negative could pull, you know, it could could take me out of this whole game. So I just, I I hate to say it, but I felt like that made me a man. It made me step up to the plate and get shit done. It seems like you've always been driven, though. I mean, going over your books, and obviously I'm going to bring up the books a lot today, but, I mean, the pro skateboarding, MMA fighting. You did a truck series racing? Yeah, I raced cars for a little bit. Can't afford to stay. Otherwise, I'd still be doing it. I love that stuff. What do you think drives you? Uh, well, lots of things. You know, the fact that I think when I grew up, a lot of people thought that I wouldn't amount to anything. So that drives me, you know, part of me thinks that the same thing. So I have to prove to myself all the time that I'm not a waste of space. I try harder because my brother passed away when he was 24 and didn't get a life. So I run, I do as many things as I can with my life before it's over for him. There's a lot of my kids, a lot of reasons I always, I just don't want to waste my life. I want to try everything. I want to do do and experience as many things as I can before it's over. So I just don't, I just don't quit. I never stop. It's what I am. When you were pro skateboarding, did you ever imagine you would be where you are now with what you've accomplished, what you're doing? No, no. I used to think that uh, when I retired from skateboarding, that I could be a team manager because I already flew around the world to the contest. So I p- could like help a team or I could be in the warehouse packing boxes. I did make a joke a long time ago about potentially being an old man on the radio. I used to joke about that because I felt like out of everybody in skateboarding, I definitely had the gift of talking more than everybody else. But as far as having a radio show that you know, and and not and sort of being what where I am in it now. I, no, I did not. I did not visualize that at all. Yeah, because you know, dreaming of it or you know, joking around about it is one thing, but then to go and actually have it happen. I mean, I guess Tony Hawk gave you your first real break with it, right? He asked me to be his co-host, so he was paying me to work for Sirius. And then when Sirius heard me talk with Tony, they offered me a job. And I was already <clears throat> not as good as I was at skateboarding. I was already dropping off, at, not making it into the top 10 sometimes at contests. So that was the thing that triggered. I could tell that everybody at Sirius, when I talked, were sort of in awe of me. They were like, well, this guy is amazing. And I was sort of a little bit, I wasn't absolutely, like I didn't understand what they thought was so good. I just thought it was it's a dude talking. Who gives a shit? But I can tell that they are really impressed. And I was like, man, maybe I got something here. And then the more I did the Tony Hawk show, the more I can tell that I actually did have, I think Tom Green came on and, and I just felt like I was as funny and as quick as he was. And at the time I was like, that's fucking Tom Green. Like <laughs> he's 
one of the funniest people in America and, and you're as good as him on the radio. That's crazy. So then I did listen to the Stern show. So that was the only thing I knew of when it came to radios and I'd watched the movie. So I knew that there was a job out there that was actually quite glamorous was in, and, and knowing that Howard could do this thing where if you were driving in your car, listening to him for 10 minutes, you forget about your day or traffic and, and it actually made you feel better. I'm like, there's a purpose in this job. So once I put all that together, it just, the skateboarding, the drive that I used to be good at skateboarding, I already knew that in skateboarding, I didn't have any natural talent. There were people that uh, started at the same time as me that were uh, a lot less in shape. Like I had two fat twin brother friends that were skating and they were better than me for the first three years of skateboarding. So I didn't have any natural talent, but something clicked because I just kept doing it all the time. And I cared about it so much. So when I knew that I had made an untalented human be one of the top 10 best skateboarders in the world, and now I've got talent in radio, I just put it all together as this is a, this is a sewn up deal. I, I, I'm going to apply myself the same way as I did with skateboarding. But this time I'm in a, I'm in a surrounding where I'm the talented one. I am in a, so drive and talent nothing can stop me. So I, I, from the start, once I moved to LA, I was absolutely positive that it was all going to work out. And I was going to make millions of dollars. This is fucking stupid. But I, I just knew it. <laughs> I love in the book when you're talking about the first, I think it's the first time on the air within like five or 10 minutes. And you're in the room with Tony Hawk and a couple other guys. And you're like, you know what? I'm better than all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Without knowing that, and then all of a sudden this thing starts and you start talking and everyone's like, whoa. And I'm like, whoa, uh, this is, yeah, I wasn't sure until I, the big boss was, it's more like the bosses were freaking out in the corner. I'm like, what are they, I, I'm like, what are they freaking out about? I'm not sure what it is. And then, and then I realized it was me. They were freaking out on the skateboard guy and the talent that he has and I had no idea. Uh, yeah, my whole life, all I ever wanted to do was be the talented guy in the room. You know, in skateboarding, I, I just never saw myself as that. Well, even when I was top three in the world, I knew that there was. I knew Danny Way. I knew Tony Hawk, and they were better. They were more talented. That's the bottom line. Radio, yeah, because feel that way. In the first book, you you go into detail about how hard you had to work. I think you you mentioned a few times the the three tricks a day. Was it? Oh yeah, when I when I moved to America, I, I lived here for six months, and I made I learned three tricks a day. Yeah, yeah, and so the determination, the drive for that, and then you come into this radio thing, and you you have this natural ability, in a way, to succeed. Well, once you get it, once you figure out one way, I mean, it's not a done deal, but if you figure out a way to be one of the best in the world at something it's this confidence thing that you've got. Like I didn't, I didn't, I don't, maybe I could make it. It's not, maybe I can make it. I, I know I can make it. I already made it. So I think that, and you know, I used to tell my boss, I'm like 10 years, man, in 10 years from now, I'll be making a million dollars and I'll be the biggest show on Sirius XM. Cause once it's, well, cause I knew that if you're talented and you apply yourself after 10 years, you will be the best series or at least one of them. It's just the way it works. So when you know that, to me, it was just time. Just keep going, keep doing it, and watch it all flourish. Yeah. You know, you brought up Howard Stern, and in the book you bring up Howard Stern and, and private parts of the movie and all that stuff. And in the first few chapters, you talk about your ex-wife. Is it Andrea or Andrea? A Andrea. You talk about her and you talk about a lot of the same things you had to deal with. Um, for those that saw private parts, they know what I'm talking about. But having these segments, these bits on the radio and then coming home and finding out that your wife's pissed. Um, yep. Almost forgot those, but yep. <laughs> um, do you think that added to what you were doing? I mean, the extra drama you'd create from it? Uh, I, no, not that. No, I remember being really angry about that because it would be a lot of her friends would tell her stuff that wouldn't be exactly true and which meant they were kind of fans of the show, but they would, what they didn't realize is they were making my life difficult. So I was just, 
angry at nitpicking bitches, really. That kind of made it more apparent to me that some people need to mind their own fucking business. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how you, you're like a fan and you're listening for four hours a day, but you're, you have no problem telling Andrea this story that's not exactly true or... Or, you know, it's one person hears it, then the next person tells somebody else, and then that person tells my ex-wife. That's kind of a lot of those happened. But it also showed me that, one, my ex-wife didn't take my radio career serious. She didn't think that I was a talent. And, to, like, I I got a wife now. And my wife could, drives the car and hears me say way worse shit all the time. She loves me and she knows me, and I there's no hiding in this relationship There's no oh yeah yeah so i want to get to a... you and you and katie in a little bit because the relationship you guys have now definitely seems you finally found the perfect partner for you yeah, well then because it i mean it's, it's i think it's really hard to go out with somebody who has my job so i feel like a lot of people like my ex don't want the world to know that their husband shit his pants or jerked off on someone i don't know like a lot of people, a lot of normal people don't want anybody else to know stuff like that. And I've never cared about what you think about my dick or my pants. It's mine. So I, and she did. And that was kind of like, not the main reason, but that was another reason why we were never supposed to be together. We're not the same kind of people at all. Yeah. No disrespect. Because I still, I understand their side of things. I understand some people not wanting to to say everything that happened in their day when it, especially if it's really embarrassing <laughs> i get it but to me that's my bread and butter like sometimes it's pointless and i regret it and sometimes i do it and i feel like it saves lives so i don't care if i say the wrong thing and everyone's like oh my god you're disgusting i don't i ha- i don't care it's my job we're all disgusting <laughs> you just happen to be open about it Real, I mean, really, the the whole buy thing. I mean, like, I, I feel like I'm the only one. I feel I don't know anybody. It's like, oh yeah, chicks, dudes, what's up? Yeah, it's definitely not something accepted by a lot of people in well, the not. straight community and the gay community. Yeah, the gay community. That's it's they're they're a lot more accepting than I actually would have agreed with you until that article came out. But I got a lot of support from the gay community, but straight community. You don't even get the backlash. It's just a switch off. They don't talk to you anymore because it's different era now. You can't call me a fag. It's inappropriate. So instead, you just switch off. You just disappear from my life. Or you act funny when I see you and I can totally tell. I now know the look when someone's weirded out by my sexuality. They don't have to say anything. It's obvious. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's cool, man. Whatever you want to do in your bedroom, that's cool. Like, I know what that means. <laughs> well, then when you would start to talk about your sexuality too, you you opened up about losing like followers on Facebook who you knew from the skateboarding career. Um, pro have... skaters that, that dropped you. My Twitter and my Instagram went down when I started to talk about it. I just, I just don't know what to do. I don't want it, it. It helps a few people, especially that article. People that don't want to come out that are living my life. Cause there was a lot of times there, you know, I don't, I look back on it and I'm like, you know, I drank more than I should have. I did a lot of drugs cause I was, I was trying to like keep something down. I didn't want to even face it. I didn't walk through the day going, man, I'm, am I gay or am I straight? Or I just didn't think about it. Cause if I did, it would kill me. So I just was kind of numb all the time hiding from it. And then, knowing now that, you know, I, I had skateboarding, so that's why I didn't OD, or that's why, like, I, I, I stopped drinking the next day because I wanted to go to the ramp. So if I didn't have that, I'd probably be just dead from the drugs of trying to keep the, the, the gay stuff buried. And now I know that, and I feel like a lot of people are killing themselves because they're me, and they know that, you know, you, it's... I'm a big, strong dude that looks confident. If I say stuff, people people even believe I'm not insecure about it. But the average person in their little town going to tell their friends they're bi, I almost don't recommend that because I feel like you're going to get shut out. And I feel really sad about that. So that's when I talk about it and those people listen and they feel better about their lives to the point where they, you know, they were thinking about killing themselves and now they're not going to. And I don't care if you, you can all fucking unfollow me. I don't care. 
Yeah, because you represent someone in the bisexuality community or the LGBT community that normally isn't represented. I mean, the tattoos, the... Nobody wants to be the representer. (laughs) (laughs) The community would let me in. I mean, they have, you know? It's just a matter of, do you want to be that guy? Because it's a weird country that we live in where there's a lot of people that you know, they believe in the floaty guy in the sky and that what I'm doing is a sin. So there's, it's, it's, there's no argument around that. You're, you're talking to a madman. Yeah. What was the evolution like for you? Because like I said, I started really listening to you in December and it was during the holiday break. So I listened to a lot of the old stuff. Okay. And so like 2014, 15, you had um, someone from... Teen Wolf on, and I forget the guy's name. And at at that point in your evolution of your sexuality, um, you really didn't address it. You didn't talk about it. No, no way. What's that first thing that really started to open up for you that made it change? That's my wife. As soon as I started dating her, I mean, as soon as we started dating, we kind of agreed pretty quickly that we would, we were okay with having an open relationship. And you know, after my last marriage, I just really was fearful of getting in a relationship because I didn't think anyone would, you know, to be completely honest, who the hell wants to go with a guy that's into guys and girls? It doesn't even make any sense. So I figured it might be best to just sort of, you know, meet some people and not get too serious. But pretty quickly that got serious. And she, I had a trans calendar in my apartment and she said what's this and I was like oh I guess trans girl left it gave it to me on the show and she's like you like that and I was like yeah yeah she's like wait would you sleep with them I'm like and you know I was I remember thinking this is where it starts <laughs> and, I'm, and I just thought I don't want to lie I don't want to hide so I'm just gonna say it so I said yeah and she's like really I'm like yeah I think that's so hot I'm like you do She's like, yeah. She's like, would you sleep with a guy? And I'm like, yeah, I have. And she's like, oh my god, that's so fucking hot. And I didn't, and I believed her. She didn't look like she was making that up to impress me. And then she told a few of her friends. So then I had a few girlfriends that I could be open about it with. So I would make little comments here and there, you know, about being bi, and they thought it was funny and cute. And I think that just built my confidence up. And then. The more I talked about it, the happier I kind of felt during the day because I've always been a guy that kind of walks around dark sometimes for no reason. So I just felt like it was therapeutic. And then, you know, I'm in therapy. I know getting stuff out is good for you. So then the Stern Show called around that time and they always do that pre-interview thing. (laughs) And I just, I thought it was time, you know? So when they interviewed me, they was like, is there anything else you want to say? And I was like, yeah, I probably want to talk about my bisexuality. And they were like, really? Because <laughs> I know they're going to be pumped on it, but for different reasons than me. But I just felt, uh, I didn't care about the consequences. I just felt like I'm sick of hiding anything. And I shouldn't be ashamed of it. You know, and I, I got kids and I'm very worried about them knowing it you know but it's the more i think about it the more i think about their minds and their lives and where we're all going in life the more it added up to where it was okay to admit that you know it'd be different if i was cheating on my wife but i'm not she's Mm -hmm. i get permission before i go anywhere and my daughter knows a little bit about it my son's only 11 so he doesn't know that much but when he does you know i'm ready for the worst or the best of it i just know in the end that you know, his father was, this is who he is, and he was living true to himself. And I know that when my kid gets older, he might be okay with it immediately. My daughter doesn't mind at all. Mm-hmm. But I just have to be true to myself. I have to, you know, I can tell there's a lot of years where I just, I always used to, people are like, man, you just look angry. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just fucking sitting here thinking about stuff, you know, and get. I just get sad about stuff I can't put my finger on it and I felt that had a lot to do with this and the more I'm open about that I feel the happier I am for no reason so it's a big deal to me 
Yeah, because besides obviously sexuality being a big topic, you really talk about mental health a lot in the book. Did you go in meaning to do that or is it just something that part of your story is about mental health and you wanted to make sure you shared that? Well, I feel like the book is really about, you know, I want to, I want to help people. It's bigger than, I don't have an education. I'm somehow in a position where I'm helping people, adults be better, live better lives. And from all the damage that I've gone through and being, you know, really damaged goods and putting in all this work, like I put all this work in to be good at skateboarding and I became really good. I put all this work in to be good at radio. I'm really good. And I was like, wait, you're dark all the time for no reason. You're fucking, look at you. You're a scary guy. Like, why are you so scary? What happened? What happened to you? Lots of shit happened to me. So I had to, it's like, uh, you know, when I find out about cupping or ice plunges, it's better for your body. Well, then I'm going to do it. And if I think therapy's better or I think ayahuasca or I think, you know, I hear people talk about MDMA therapy, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to go to the extremes because I know that in my experience, a lot of these extreme potions that some people are into, they can actually work. You can cure yourself. I mean, I'm on, I got off antidepressants from doing ayahuasca and I've never been better. And that's, you know, some people like never do that. And I'm like, you're an idiot for not checking into that. If you, if you're like me, if you're just like content with your day, then I wouldn't look into it. But all these things help. They, you know, and I'm positive of it. I got friends that are maybe a little less scarred than me, but it did a lot of good for them. So I, I just uh, adopt a lot of the things that I learned from my smarter friends. <laughs> but that is the you know how how to get better. Like I don't I want to like oh man, look at this sad story and all these things I go through. And it's like yeah, he's really accomplished. He's got a great job, but you know sometimes he walks around uh, sad for no reason, and that's not cool. That's not I don't want like, Hey, grow up kids and be like me. I don't, I want to, I want to be happy. You know, I want to walk around being happy and positive. <laughs> and that's seem that's kind of my goal these days. Cause I, the more I look at my life and my past, and there's a lot of dark times and that's cool. That used to be cool to me to be dark and be evil. Cause it's like Metallica and I like all that kind of stuff. But now it's like my actual day to day. If you see me from a distance and you think I'm a badass, I don't fucking care about that. I'm not looking to do that. I just want to be in the morning, very content with my morning, and it continues to go this way. Like that, I envy these people that are <laughs> that are happy all the time. So that's my my new goal is no longer to be the king of the radio or a million. I don't give a. F uh, I mean, I don't want to go broke, but I just want to be happy and positive. So that so that when you want that instead of being the best skateboarder or being the best radio guy. I've realized from meeting a lot of people, I know a lot. I know I can help a lot of people. So that is my main mission. You know I mean, just be happy for absolutely no reason. Yeah, because while I'm reading this book, I go, you know what? I don't know if it meant to be, but I'm feeling like I'm reading a self-help book. Well, I mean, I'm self-helping myself, right? So... It's like, look at the, the, the one thing I learned from the radio a long time ago. I remember I told the story of when I used to do, I used to do heroin in Australia and get prostitutes. And then one time when I was really dark, I got two chicks to, and they, and I let them shoot me up, you know? And I, I hate that shit. I got friends that died. I saw my mom's boyfriend do it. Like I hate needles, but I was so dark and I didn't give a fuck anymore that I did that. And they robbed me and left me in a park to die. And I really got my shit together after that. But I remember someone going, man, no one has ever had your job after that story. Usually it's over. And I thought, well, it's a good story to tell people when you think you're a piece of shit and you're never going to be amount to anything. Well, check it out. This dude over here at one point let two like drugged out hookers shoot him up with heroin and left him in a park and robbed him. And he was you know, a, a broke pile of shit. And now I'm this because you can flip it around if you get your shit together. I just felt like, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't have an education, but that's, that's a, that's a fact. I didn't make that up. It's not a story. That's a real thing that happened. And I'm really here and, uh, and I'm doing really good.
So you can, anyone can turn it around. Yeah, I guess with with the honesty that you have and sharing all this this stuff you've done, I mean, you openly talk about brothels in Amsterdam and trying to sleep with as many women as possible while you're there <laughs> when you're younger. And I think that was in the first book, but... So bad. <laughs> um, just the drug use, and, and you're right, usually... In most fields, you would be shunned, you'd be fired, you wouldn't be rehired anywhere. But here, Sirius is a place that allows you to to be honest, to tell your life story, to tell, you know, because you're, you're helping people. You're entertaining people, more importantly for them, but... Yeah, they've... I've actually saw an email about three months ago from bosses to bosses about me after this book came out, and I take them for granted sometimes. But all they see it is... Jason's always helped people. It's kind of a miracle. And now he's doing this and we support him. So yeah, when it comes to my company, they've, if anything, they're just like, is there anything we can do to help? So I'm very lucky when it comes to that. Yeah. Because you've talked openly about the ayahuasca. Um, I guess it's a drug, but it's a kind whole, of. it's a whole, it's more than that though, because you know, you're, you're doing this with a shaman and, and if you read the book, you'll get the whole story. But you actually encourage people to do it if they feel that it's it's needed. But you do it. You encourage them to do it with someone reputable and and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. But you got to look in. Yeah, you can't just go. Don't go do ayahuasca and just sit in the park. You will. That will be the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life. You could die probably. But if it's done correctly with professionals, and you need that help, you know what I mean? Because it's hard work. That's the thing. It's not free. It's not like mushrooms. You know, we. I see shit. It's not. It's work. Yeah, you saw some in. crazy shit. Yeah, I, look, it sounds cool in the book that I saw some crazy shit, but at the time, it was real work. Like, I was the whole time I was like, man, I can't wait for this to be over. You know? But you can't think that while you're on it because it'll make it worse. But I, if I could have just made it stop, I would have. It's hard. Really? It's. I mean, it depends on... Some people say they have pleasant experiences, and then the next day maybe it's worse or something, but... I think, like I said, if if you've got real demons and you're trying to make some real changes in your life, then this is the thing for you. But but that means you that means when you take this stuff, you're gonna have to face those demons. And that's you, you can. I'm happy that I did, but I'm not gonna lie. It's terrible. Like a lot of terrible things happened, and the ayahuasca will run it through your head until they until it knows that you have got it. You've accepted that it has happened because you need to move on and the, and the drug won't let you move on until you've accepted it. It's really brilliant. And then when it's gone, I still feel it like still to this day, there's ways that I look, break things down in my head. Now that bother me like the medicine, I use the medicine like the way I, cause you learn you what you're kind of just there watching it work. You, you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm like, wow, it's making me figure out these things. Maybe I should try and copy the medicine. So it still works to this day, I think. Really? I still look at things like in that mindset because it's, it's easy. It just makes more sense. Because you know? I think um, you know, a lot of kids, when they're scarred, when they're young, they carry that forever and react from that childhood experience on anything else that goes bad. I know I have. Like, you do things to me the wrong way. I think it's personal, you know, because in my in my childhood, I you you I, no one was to be trusted. You guys would do anything to me. So, and all the things that have happened to me, they stay. They you, that's where you that's where I come from. If I if you attack me, I attack you on behalf of all the people that have attacked me, which is not right. It's not appropriate. Yeah, and then for you to be doing this and for all this to come flooding back and. It had to be an odd moment for sure. And then in the book, I love how you're talking about how Katie is getting, you know, her supplies for the night. She's going upstairs. And in my mind, I'm picturing, you know, just, you know, a happy person going up and going to enjoy the rest of the night. And you're going and dealing with all this dark shit downstairs. And it's just a funny, it was a, it hit me funny, I guess, when I was reading it. Yeah, it was a, it was an odd couple of days, but, but she knows, she knows I'm, I mean, really fucked up. I had a lot of real crazy stuff happen, and I'm 
fortunate enough to be in a position now where I can pay for a guy to come over here for three days and get this get better you know it's like it's like going to hospital for three days but instead the doctor comes to your house and you know so to me and her I think it was more like all right baby like you go to your room and I'm gonna I'm gonna get these demons out or I don't know you know I mean we're gonna I'm gonna be better the next day and I think the couple times I think one one night I was screaming down here so she could she could hear that but she's just used to I mean you're married to me it's probably not that weird that you know that's just Jason at 12 o'clock at night screaming his lungs out because he's on ayahuasca getting the demons out that's Jason you know Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to this episode with Jason Ellis. Before we get back to the episode um, where we continue to talk about his career in radio, times with Howard Stern and stuff like that, I want to tell you what's on tap tomorrow on The Transporter Room. The Transporter Room beams up comic book writer and novelist Lila Sturgis, who came out as transgender three years ago. She organizes an online effort that gives away pizza to trans people, one of the most marginalized and underemployed groups in America. That's tomorrow where you find out sports podcasts. Let's get back to this episode with Jason Ellis. Yeah. And like I said before, you have found the perfect partner for you. I mean, it's the later part of the book. I, this book is divided up into so many categories. I feel like when I'm reading it, you know, you have the part with your, your ex-wife, you have your radio career, you're talking about your the stuff with your your family and everything. And then you go to Katie who really seems to be the person besides, you know, your kids who has really changed your life. It has helped you with acceptance, has helped you um you found like the ultimate cheerleader in a way. Yeah. Um and then you're able to give that back to her in a way that you guys can both accept who you are. I think so. I think that's what, what it is. I, want, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but it's all right. going back to your radio career, what was it like meeting Howard Stern? I mean, Howard Stern, the king of all media, private parts, back when the industry was different and he was on um, terrestrial radio, you know, going to each market and winning each market and stuff like that. You see all that, you hear all that. What was it like actually meeting him being in the studio? Um, the first time was a very big deal. I mean, to me, he's he's godlike, so very nerve wracking. Um, there's a lot of when you go in to be on the show, it's a little bit different. You know, like it wasn't so much about meeting Howard Stern; it was more about being on the Howard Stern show and doing real good, so that he, uh, yeah, he's impressed. Mm-hmm. So that's just really, really nervous about doing a really good job, which is it's all I was thinking about. I think pretty much the first three times, definitely the first two, was just as to me it felt like a skateboard contest. It was like it's all, it's all all for all or nothing. <laughs> this is this is like my big shot is kind of how I saw it. So meeting him is more I can feel it. Like when we met each other, there's no real connection there. Like he's up in the clouds with whatever he does with his life. So, and so am I, you know, I feel like we're both have that one thing that's similar, but the rest of it is a lot different. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it was just, uh, it's one of those things where you meet some, your idol and I didn't, it's, it's different. Like I've, he's an idol, but he's also somebody I know that we, him and I have not a lot in common. So I never like me like I think James Hetfield from Metallica is is godlike. Like if I saw James Hetfield, I'd go, "Oh my fucking god, it's James Hetfield." Yeah. But I also think that if James and I hung out, we'd have some things in common, and I would kind of be let down if it wasn't the case. But with Howard, I assumed that him and I would have nothing in common at all. So it was more like, "Oh, you got a cool little show there, kid. Good for you." And I was like, "Really? Thanks, Dad." Like that's. <laughs> That's all I wanted, and I got that and more. Like them wanting to have me back three or four times. That that to me was like, you're not a celebrity, Jason, and they're having you back on. You know, you they they think that you kill radio. This is this is 
all he wanted. I mean, your appearances, though, were had some odd moments. I mean, the M&Ms in your foreskin. Like well, I that's said, the only way I got on there. You know that, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I pitched them that uh, if somebody else made it up, the uh, comedian made it up and said, how would it go for it if you pitch it to him? So I pitched it because he has a guy on there that is uh, uncircumcised. So that he was like, why don't you offer them, uh, you know, I mean, the, who can put the most M&Ms in their foreskin game? And they just thought that was hilarious. So that's why I got on the show. They had no idea that I even worked for the company. Oh, really? I don't think Howard knew that I had a show on SiriusXM until the third time I was there. Are you serious? I, I, I think that the dick in the M&Ms, they were, they were like, man, that was one of the funniest things ever. So that made me get an invite back. And then the invite back was to me, I was like, well, the only reason they're having me is to torture my penis. So I thought of a new thing where I'd put a bunch of pegs on my dick and balls once again against this other comedy guy. And then that was the day George Dekai was there. So I just took it upon myself because uh, the guy I was competing with, he couldn't handle it anymore. And I started putting them all on. I had like, I don't know, fucking 50 all over me. And I thought, I looked at Howard and George was behind me on a count, behind a countertop. So I stood on the couch and I put my dick and balls on the counter and said, look at that, George. <laughs> and George looked at it like, he wanted a piece of it right there and then. He was ready to suck me off in front of Howard. And I saw <laughs> Howard see him see look like that. And he was like, well, why don't you get, uh, George, why don't you come around here and take the clamps off? And looked at me like, this is going to be radio gold. And to me, that was the highlight of my radio career where I felt like Howard and I came up with a thing for George to do to me that was going to be, at my, at my, uh, it cost me a little bit, but it was gonna kill. And and then it did. He came around and he was like trying to jerk me off while he was taking the pegs off. Like he was really <clears throat> going above and beyond. And it was, <clears throat> uh, um, you know, everybody in the room was laughing. And then they were like, "Dude, that was a home run." Afterwards, they were like, "Come on, the wrap up show. That was a, you know, a home run." And everybody loves Jason. Like everybody from the Howard Stern show loves Jason. I was like, "This is the fucking greatest thing." It has ever happened to me. And, you know, I think they were like, well, you don't have to pull your dick out next time. And then it became a bit sad. You know, I think how it was like the whole molestation thing. And I didn't know who it was. And, and, uh, you know, your dad sucking your dick. He just loves saying that to me. And that started to kind of, I remember the last time I went on there, I was like, I don't really, I really hope he doesn't go there. Cause I'm kind of at the point now where, I want to be on the Stern show, but I don't want to be on the Stern show because my father made me yeah. such a dick. And I get it. Saying it is cool and all that. It's funny. It's edgy. But I I started to get a little bit weird about it. And I felt like there was a time there right when I got divorced and they had me on where I was just completely depressed. <laughs> and I think I did 45 minutes of like how bad my life is. I'm like, oh, this, yeah, I'm like, fuck, man. So I don't know. I was I don't know. Wait, I didn't have they didn't have me back on last year. So I felt bad about that, but I hear they're making yet again more changes and they don't want people in there that aren't A list celebrities. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I love how in the book you bring up the George Takai moment because you possibly had an STI. Well that no, that was the next then the next time they flew me in for his birthday to get me fucking naked and wrap my dick up in wrapping paper and walk out and give it to him. So once again, I'm back on the show because I've got a dick. <laughs> so that time, yes, I was not feeling that well. And I wasn't sure what it was. And then, yeah, lo and behold, I did. This, you know, this is before uh, I realized that it was not that difficult to get an STD from a glory hole. Yeah. I didn't know that you could get it from getting sucked off. And then... I did a couple of times, so <laughs> that was the end of that. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I do want to bring up something in the book specifically. You know, through your your evolution of sexuality and your openness to talk about it, you talk about the trans community and bits you did on the radio that you've learned since 
weren't the best weren't you felt like it maybe hurt the trans community more than than helped i guess i mean i think i've i think i've done that to uh everybody at least once or twice when you're on the radio for four hours a day you put your foot in your mouth a lot especially when you're clueless to the community like i have since the article Hey, I've got a, I've got some gay friends now. You're talking to a guy that is, comp- like I all, I'm just completely hedro and and more manly than all my hedro friends. Like everybody who's my friend who's straight, I'll I'll kick their ass. Like I'm more of an idiot than any of them have ever been, and I'm gay. So there's, I've I've got trans friends that I've got a trans friend. We're not friends anymore. I did something that offended her and I tried to figure it out, but apparently me being into men and trans women offended her because it makes it look like I'm just into chicks with dicks. That's how she explained it. I'm like, I, I see you as a woman and I, I mean, I, I, I like big girls and little girls and black girls. And like, I like big guys. Like I don't have a, a thing. I mean, I guess I have a thing. Like if you've got a lot of tattoos, it's probably, watch out but apart from that i just like people because i like people i can't tell you why but you know we, we actually had a huge falling out and i tried to i was like please explain to me what i've done because i'm trying to help the community i'm i'm shocked to know that i've offended you especially at this point i feel like i'm a little wiser as to how everybody how everybody deserves to be treated but you can't keep everybody happy, you know. That's that's how I because I've I've got other trans friends where I'm like, hey, how how the fuck did I offend her? And she's like, oh, she's having a bad time. Don't worry. But it's some people are a little too touchy in both on both sides. Some people are a little too touchy. You know, you, you say something that you find, or I find that to be offensive. Like, if they didn't mean it to be offensive, then you need to calm down. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's on purpose, then it's a different story. Yeah, and I think the cool thing about you is it, it's showing that you want to learn too. You're you're not See, trying to be an asshole. Need. That's yeah. all you need is just to go because I find when people go, "Oh, his her," like I, fuck that shit. I can't keep up with it. Okay, look, I, I'm very punchy. I don't remember a lot of stuff. I don't know all the pronouns either. But if you tell me what you would like to be called, and and if I'm innocently, oh, I didn't, I wasn't supposed to call you. Uh, wait, I'm supposed to call you her or him? Like, just tell me one time. You'll see it in my eyes. I didn't mean it, and and now we can move on. But if you're like, that's it, because one time at my wedding, I had a friend of a friend that was there, and I had some trans friends at my wedding, and I guess I used the word tranny, and I offended her deeply, and I had to have a big talk to her at my wedding, and I was like, the only reason I say that is because my trans friend just over there, she said it. Mm-hmm. she's like well it's not appropriate i'm like okay it's very just so you know it's very confusing to me and i'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings note to self i won't say that again and she was like thank you i really appreciate it i don't think it's that difficult as long as it doesn't come from a you know some people when you get corrected you're like fuck that don't correct me it's like you don't be so anal it's a not a big deal to be wrong yeah do you feel that you are a part of the LGBT community or do you feel it's more about just liking sex with all people? Um, I mean, does that question make sense? I, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I feel like I am a part of the, of the community. I just like, I I've, I've said that if you want to use me in any way, after I did that article, I was like, if there's anything I can do to help more, just call me and I'll be there. But I haven't got that call. So I, but I'm, but I'm here, I'm available. I feel like the book and now I get a lot of messages on social media. So I sort of privately support people that are in need, but I would gladly do more. I just don't get that offer. I think, you know, cause it is a, it's a weird thing to show up in the gay community and be like, Hey everybody, bisexual's cool. I don't know how many people are going to be pumped on that. If I show up in the straight community, did you know bisexual's cool? You know, it's okay to be that. They don't want to hear it. So mm-hmm. there's nobody looking to hire me to talk about it, but I would, I would definitely do that. 
Yeah, I mean, you're doing this right now, and I really appreciate it. So. See, that's that's it. That's like, of course, I would do this. I, you know, and if anyone ever asks me on the radio or DMs me on Instagram, if you're serious, I'll tell you everything and anything I know to help you um, understand better. And if you want to help me understand better, I'm all ears. I want to. I don't want to offend. I just want to help. I want to make the place, the world better. You know, more accepting. Yeah, because like I got to be honest with you, when I message you you know like i said i listened to you i read your stuff i was amazed that i heard back i mean to actually be talking to you i'm still like shitting myself because <laughs> it's really cool so yeah I, I love that you're willing to help and and you're willing to talk to people and you're open about it i mean you talk for a living so to be able to you know spend another some time on a sunday afternoon or sunday morning and talk to you about this is really cool and i really appreciate it yeah, no worries. Well, like I said, man, I, I don't I don't get a lot of calls to do stuff like this, but I, to me, it's beside my children and my wife. It's the most important thing I'll ever do with my with my life. Like this is a, I'm in a pocket where I don't see a lot of people in my position being vocal about it. And you know, I got kids that are going to be affected by it when they're like, "Oh, your dad's gay." Like they're gonna, you know, because he's how could you have a dad who's gay? It's gonna, they're gonna get ridiculed for it, and I want to be the one that gets a lot of other people to talk about it, so that my kids' kids, or whatever the future of children, don't get picked on for somebody in their family being gay, you know, or get or get uncomfortable about it, or you know, I've had I've unfollowed some people, some of my fight friends, for posting stuff about against same sex marriage, and I'm like, how could you say that? And you're my friend, and you're doing that, and it's like. Look, dude, it's okay for you to be you, but I don't need my 11-year-old kid hearing about it. And I'm like, wait, you don't want your 11-year-old to know what gay is because you think, what, that the teacher will say, listen here, Johnny, here's how you butt fuck. Like, it's not, they're going to say a man can marry a man because he loves him and a girl can marry a girl because they love each other. That's what they would teach them in school. Trans women are born boys and they want, or they're born one thing in their, but in their head, there's something else. And then when they're older, they get the surgery and it wouldn't like, how's this scarring a child? Like I have children. When you tell them that I've told my kids what gay is and what a trans person is. And I watched their innocent little minds think about it for 10 seconds and then go on with their day. Cause they couldn't give two fucks. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean anything. Cause they never heard anybody hating on it. It's I'm, more than ever, am I like, ask me anything, anybody, I'll tell you about it. It's not that bad to be me. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> you seem to be having fun. I'm, I'm Ask my wife. I'm having uh, too much fun sometimes. She'll tell me. <laughs> I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just have a couple more things and I'll let you go. Okay. Um, regarding your sexuality and, and the show, um, has anything changed for you with guests, with your, you know, Tully or all the other guys that make the show what it is i mean has that changed at all no nah. no i think you know when it first kind of happened because i felt like the show is more of a blue collar in your car show and uh you know but coming out as by could affect the show and could affect my salary and their salary so before the stern thing came out i kind of had a meeting with them and they just had no idea, which is crazy, because Tully wrote both books. And at one point, he actually played some audio the other day of me telling him, because uh, I, just, I just word it out, and then Tully writes it. Mm -hmm. But in the first book, I kind of told him that I was gay, and he didn't catch it, and we just moved on. And there's audio of me trying to say it, which is another reason why, you know, at the time when I had that book, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind, but... I was hide. I was still in misery, hiding this one bit that I I knew. I knew I was bi. I knew it, and I said it to Tully in the book for the first book, and he didn't catch it because he thought it was that unfathomable that I would be. And well, like, yeah, because it like he said he was gay, but obviously he didn't say that. Because in the high and dry podcast you you did, and you recently quit, you guys released the audio for the the interviews you guys did for the first book. And right. I could have swore in one of those episodes it mentioned sexuality. Yeah, yeah, and Tully just didn't catch it. And because he didn't catch it, I didn't emphasize it. 
And I was like, you know what? Let's just move on. Look, I had a therapist at the time that was like, I wouldn't bring that up if I was you. It'll probably ruin your career. Oh, damn. And now you guys are doing bits where you guys all sign up on Grindr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, look, they're, look, they've always been... I know them as human beings that have always been accepting to race and, you know, well, religions and whatnot. We've We've been together for 15 years, or 10, 15 years, so... I was never worried about them looking at me different. I was only worried about them being affected by it. I didn't want the show to be affected by it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to get a, a hit because of my sexuality. I can take it. It's me. But I didn't want them to. But it, it wasn't. It's not in the cards. Sirius XM is more than happy. And everybody else seems to be pretty happy so yeah and the yeah. mma community is happy because they they're still supporting you and listening to you and your ellis mania events i mean they all seem to be successful yeah i mean they have i'm not gonna lie they have died off a little bit in the in the race community in the in the fight community i'm nowhere near as popular oh really that's interesting yeah. but i i don't i i can't and no one's gonna say that's why i can only just assume that that's why but I also, I understand it. I've had, I've, look, at one point, when this article first came out, the uh, the Out magazine, where they mentioned by name that Donald Cerrone called me a fag on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I was, I tried to, like, soften it on Twitter and be like, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> and then Kyle was like, uh, no, it's not. You know what I mean? Like, it, they said that, and you need to stand by that. And I was like, yep, you're right. But it just showed my fear to the MMA community because it was I tried to back out of something that I didn't say it. That's what happened. Donald Cerrone did say that on the Joe Rogan podcast. And Donald was my friend until he heard me say that I was openly bi on the radio. Yeah. But it's I also shame. understand both sides. One side, I mean, one side's telling me, you know, people, kids are killing themselves over shit like this. And I and, and and I don't have no problem calling out all these bitches to save one of these kids' lives. And I'm like, this is heavy shit. What I'm hearing right now from somebody who's really emotional about it. And then I got friends on the radio that are like, oh, you know, you don't want to end up sucking dicks, you know. It's and I'm like, or uh, you know, I did a, radio, a guest spot on Jude's show, and he was like, you know, it's, it's, fags are cool. And I'm like, hey, you're not really supposed to say that and he's like it's just a word it's no big deal and so i got i'm like i get his angle and i'm not mad i'm a little bit hurt i am these days when people use the fag word and it's not even you're not on the radio and you're not making some kind of humor that's edgy like if you you're just saying it because you say it it does kind of like i still get the guys don't know this but sometimes they talk about it, like oh man i don't want to i don't want to end up sucking dicks for a living or something and i'm like what's so bad about sucking a dick <laughs> I, mean, I can't say that to them but really like these are the things that make us awkward with each other when you, you know i mean because it's guy's mentality it's like oh worst case scenario i'll be blowing dudes you know it's like well i i actually i like blowing dudes so is there another analogy that you could use but it's it's the it's the way of the world We've, we're we're caught in this rut of being mortified that a man would kiss another man yeah with that i want to let you go so before i ask my final question that i ask every guest where can people get this book uh jasonellsbook.com and i think as of next week you can get it on amazon like every i tried to avoid that but people were like come on you got to get it on there so god damn it you can get it on amazon as well Okay, cool. And then any chance you do an audiobook? I am. I am uh we're going to now that we've we've given in to Amazon, I am in the middle of recording the audiobook. Awesome, so, yes. because and I I'm have the do, hardcover. I'm do both, actually. Cool. I have the hardcover, but I would totally get the audiobook just to hear you read it. That's what I keep hearing, and I was trying to avoid that, but if everybody wants it then then they can get it. Cool. My final question is this if you can go back in time and I know you have a lot of other shit you had to deal with, but to your 12 or 13 year old self and what's that one thing you could do to help you understand and accept your sexuality as a kid. 
that would help you now? I mean, it, it would have been parents. If I had had um, acceptance and understanding, sit, sat down and talked to about it, would have gone a long way. I think the awkwardness of knowing that nobody wants to talk about it. Because I know my mum knew, but nobody wanted to talk about it. I think having an open conversation with a kid about stuff like that and making them feel like there's nothing wrong with them for being like that would have gone a long way. Okay, cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Jason, so much for coming on this podcast. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Like I said, you have given me hours and hours of humor and enjoyment while I'm at work since I found you in December. So thank you. I hope you continue to do this for years and years to come. Um, Tune in next week when I'll have an all-new guest. Um, Until then, though, you all have a great week. Thanks.